Welcome to Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, All He Surveys, Volume 1, Chapter 20. change of pace, I didn't wake up in some strange location. That is, I knew I was in sickbay and how it was I came to be there. As it turned out, I hadn't been as seriously injured as I'd thought. Or rather, I had been, but in a way that was readily fixable. Always a plus with any injury. They had me all wired up with sensors, fluids, and the rest, but I wasn't in serious pain. The dedicated AI nurse program inquired how I was feeling, in a brisk professional voice. I said I was doing pretty well, all things considered, but could I speak to the attending physician? The program placed a call. Broken clavicle fumble, easily reset and healing nicely from two bone knit injections, the medico pronounced when I asked. He had a shock of yellow hair, long for a military man. Or maybe not. I didn't know protocol over here, though I had no doubt I had ridden roughshod over some of it during the fight. Yes, I knew I was right. What else? A clean fracture of the thoracic T8 vertebra. That was no great concern, but your T9 was completely shattered. It drove shards into the spinal cord. Cilia tools and AI precision got all those out. You're welcome the machine voice prompted. Uh, thank you, the doctor went on. We patched a few cerebral spinal fluid leaks and administered bone and nerve regeneration compounds to the injured locations. It all went very smoothly. Your movements will be sluggish for the better part of a week, and there might be some mild tingling or discomfort in the lower extremities for the next thirty days or so, but... It's what, uh, 1,700 hours? I expect you'll be on your feet by the end of the shift. Not so bad. This would have been a life-changing injury in days gone by. Really? <laughs> then I'm glad I live in days right now. As predicted by the medico, I was able to shuffle to a fresher under my own power by the time third shift rolled around. Once up and moving, my illusion broke hard. The generalized aches and pains were astonishing. The AI explained that it was normal, considering all the contusions I had. Nerve blocks helped. They didn't have a med tech aboard with a physical therapy certification, but the medical AI program did. It talked me through some exercises which it said were good for such injuries. This wasn't actually sapient software, of course, though it could manage some witty banter if you nettled it, part of its bedside manner programming, apparently. I didn't make much small talk after a while, though, choosing to focus on the machine-prescribed bends and stretches. They decided to keep me in sickbay for a couple days to watch my progress, though I was allowed out for a while each shift. 
They did insist I use a cane, but I got some extra nerve block strips to carry around, just in case. The strips weren't very strong, but they did take the edge off. I used these and the cane to take longer and longer strolls through the companionways. I got a lot of gawping and blank faces moving around like that, so I knew I looked bad. A few people caught me staring back and bowed quickly before moving off in an embarrassed fashion. Captain DeRay stopped by and told me we'd gotten away clean. Those final nukes had been right on target when we star-jumped. Four seconds out and only two from detonation. Including that first hit, it was likely the factory was a total loss, or at least had been damaged enough to make a sycophant nobleman reimagine his political alliances. When she made to leave, the woman stopped, as if changing her mind about something. They're all talking about you, Famo. <laughs> Who'd I piss off this time? No, no, the skipper laughed. Quite the opposite. The crew is impressed with the way you handled the battle, fighting to the last second while in serious personal peril even making sure that the weapon crew was safely secured. You have my thanks for that. There aren't many nobles who would have done such a thing. Yeah, I didn't think that one through. Sort of regretting it now. I groaned theatrically, holding my back, but she wasn't to be diverted with a quip. We completed the mission, despite great, unexpected opposition. None of my crew sustained injuries more severe than a few pulled muscles, and the ship is still intact, more or less. This is a victory, and it is yours. You sound surprised. You do know I'm a gunner by trade, right? Emiliano de Santos, the fact that you even have a trade is cause for comment and speculation. You belong to a powerful family, yet you work like a common person. Where I come from, Captain, there's no such thing. Exactly. Where you come from is not where you are. Most people in your position would embrace their good fortune and give up laboring. You're sure about that? I'm not. She raised a hand and stopped arguing, then bowed politely, like all those strangers in the hall, and withdrew. My recovery was steady, and I did every exercise the AI recommended for as long as it recommended. An orderly was on hand for the sake of picking up a fat man from the floor should it be needed, but the machine was in charge of my treatment. The work it had me do wasn't always easy, quite the opposite, in fact. Several times I was sure I couldn't continue with the stretches, the leg lifts, and the walking. But by the time we were docked back at Bunkata Station... I was able to debark Zemo Haziz without a cane or pain meds, and with barely a limp. Sindra was waiting. Barely or no, she noticed my gait, and her face darkened visibly. What did you do to yourself, space air? Ah, I tripped getting out of my bunk. You are clumsy and stupid, and a liar. I read the captain's account of the battle. We just got here. How'd you manage that? It was sent ahead as soon as you star jumped in, along with the other important documents. It took four hours for your ship to dock here from the star jump entrance zone. I know that for you, 
This would not be nearly enough time to read a few pages of text, but I was somehow able to manage it. The anger held for a moment, then she moved forward with a hug. It lasted only a moment, but it was real and quite welcoming. So you believe the factory is ruined? she asked after pulling away, all emotion now hidden. It'll take a lot of time and be an expensive fix, if it can be done at all. Clear your afternoon. I'm calling a meeting of the group today. You will be pressing on? We made up that list of follow-through actions, right? We should commit to all of them, come up with more, and continue until we get a response we like. Lady Trasal's friends will be shocked by how fast this turns nasty. If they get the jitters, they might just pull out. Nobles have fragile egos, she observed. Present company accepted, of course. Of course, but they are insulted easily and forgive slowly. Some of them may wish to back away from this venture that Lady Tressal has brought their way, but others will feel slighted by our successes. We are members of a vindictive class of people, you and I. Not me. I'm just faking it. So are the rest of us, most days. I think she meant that as a comeback, but it wandered out with such physical weariness that I stopped short. She halted, too, with a turn of her head that seemed to indicate weariness of another sort. I'm sorry if I scared you, I said, finally seeing it. You did. Very badly. The first report in the pocket only listed you as a casualty. No details, so I assumed the worst. For a full minute until I read the breakdown of events, I believed you were dead, Spacer. There was a catch in her voice, and she turned her face to hide whatever it was displaying. But I'm fine, Syndra. You are recovering. That is not the same. I was careless, I admitted, hoping to smooth over this suddenly jagged bit of truth. I know what I did wrong. It won't happen again. Until it does, what details will be in that report, I wonder? I was starting to feel flummoxed, even a bit exasperated. What did she expect? Safety? Invulnerability? I went out there because I had to. She'd agreed to it. They all had in the last meeting. I did what needed doing. Sure, I got a bit banged up, but how did she think this was supposed to work? I mean, it was war, or near enough. I was about to voice some of this, and likely without much delicacy, when she just walked on, leaving me hanging in mid-thought. I skipped clumsily after she led me toward her private roller car. It was a wide thing, bright yellow with brass accents, all ugly and funny at the same time. I smirked and would have made a crack about it, except that the mood of the moment was still lingering. Also, there was a very tall man, dressed in gray, standing on the left-hand running board of the thing. He looked ugly, too, but not the least bit funny. 
I started to ask who it was when I recognized it as one of the same security androids that had watched over the unknown passenger whose suite had neighbored the Fausels back upon Dorcas of the Heather. Elmond's idea, not mine, Syndra remarked as she walked past it and climbed in. I stopped to stare at the thing. This was an area of the security field I knew close to nothing about, except that only the very best guard robots were even worth having. Also, that the good ones were obscenely expensive. If nobles were using this model, it was probably the finest available. Like the other one, it didn't seem to notice me. Such machines weren't meant as deterrents. You hired big, hard-faced people for that. This thing was like a flak jacket, designed to intercede upon attacks to its user. Nothing more, nothing less. It hadn't accompanied Syndra to the waiting room near the airlock, but then, thinking back, she actually hadn't gone inside. I turned around to look where we'd come, and sure enough... There was a direct line of sight between where my niece had been standing and this machine. It could have crossed the distance in two powerful bounds, three at the most, and probably had subtle weaponry installed to make even that much action unnecessary. From the airlock, my gaze followed the bulkhead lines of the dock. Syndra's car was parked in the exact place which allowed it the most unobstructed view of the immediate area. The android, through a battery of sensors that I probably would have been happy using in a gunnery station, was watching everything at once, including its charge. I had no doubt it could engage any enemy in the visible bay right from that very spot. I think the weather will hold space air, Syndra complained about my wandering gaze and waved me over impatiently. I complied suddenly feeling the fatigue of such harried travel. I climbed in and sighed with exhaustion. I need a nap before the meeting. Later, you have to file a first-hand report to Elmond and send it out. If you are tired, we'll get you some coffee. There's a nice shop on Edgeway and 14th. I thought you didn't drink coffee. When did I ever say such a thing? I don't know. A truthful answer for once. You are slipping, Space Air. Then she spoke to the car and told it to take us to the cafe. The robot clung outside, standing on the running board and watching everything roll by. I was fuming again. I mean, it was ridiculous. Hesitating now? Sir Ronaldo Nyarbale, a member of the Codget line by marriage and an old friend of the old Count, didn't think it was ridiculous. He thought it made perfect sense, and a few of the others were nodding along with him. He was new to the meetings. Failing to capitalize on this is like throwing it away, I crabbed. We have no idea what effect it will have, the man argued back, though he sounded certain. If we act without any assessment, we're as likely to ruin our goals as we are to achieve them. 
The opposition will be calculating each move carefully, and you can be assured that their next, whatever it is, will not be a rash one. If they're assessing when they should be fighting, we have an advantage. We cannot slow down now. And this is the official word from the Venet's family? Asked Commander Penator, a fat, bald, retired guy who had started agreeing with anybody who disagreed with me over the last several minutes. Another newcomer, he clearly liked to eat good, and he didn't like the upstart nobleman in his midst. As its official representative, acting directly and in good faith for the Vernay's Patriarch, you can count on it. Tempers, gentlemen, Captain Zakorga reminded us all, because I'd gotten loud and Penator had gotten snide. There were too many of us now to fit in the captain's office, as before, so we'd taken over a smallish meeting room in back of one of the Vernay's shipping offices on station. Everyone gave him deference, though, as if he were still on his home turf. I sat back and looked away in disgust. This was supposed to have been a report on a success that had happened through no small amount of effort and pain. It was starting to seem like being away even for so short a time in the real universe, had been a chance for the naysayers to make inroads, and here I thought we had cleaned the stables. Sir Ronaldo, as a family friend, was a senior advisor to the Codget family, though that position was informal. He was not a member of the Codget Council of Elders, which was equivalent to the Vernay's Family Advisory Council. All the nobles had something. Most of the COE seemed to be in Lady Trisal's pocket, in that they were siding against the Comatosa and her children. And in fact, this guy was starting to talk like he was the interpatria for the Cogets instead of the Countess. He was apparently respected and well-liked around the table. That, coupled with, yes, I'll admit it, the fact that he was new, were all good reasons for me to dislike Sir Ronaldo. His reticence to pursue the conflict aggressively wasn't helping either. I'd been sitting there for an hour, and my back was hurting. The medico on Zemo Haziz had taken me aside and admitted that, despite the AI's assurances to the contrary, it was possible that my back injury would offer some degree of discomfort for the rest of my life, especially in stressful situations. It made me wonder if, decades on, I would feel a twinge and remember all this. The attack, the bulkhead, these arguments with faithless fatheads. It wasn't a prospect I had any eagerness to contemplate or explore, so I forced myself to listen to the conversation and keep myself angry. It was better than fearing ghosts of the past populating an unknowable future. Yes, it's true, I was against escalation. A tall guy with dark skin and a gray frizz on top replied to someone else's query. He wore a white uniform I didn't recognize. Was he military? A doctor? A waiter? It was impossible to know without asking, which would have been insulting. He was another new face. They were creeping in from all corners. I queried my retinals very quietly, not even a whisper, and I got the guy's entire profile, along with a gallery of vids and still images. 
In most, he wore this uniform or a stylish variation of it. He had two dozen titles and official positions to his name, any one of which could have required a uniform. The nobles had a habit of taking on positions in organizations they mostly owned, becoming directors, presidents, imperial advisors, executive professors, and much more. Whether they could tell you what most of the corresponding organizations actually did was even money. It seemed like it was all ego and preening and cockiness and cliques. It was all... All I could take. Yeah, I've had enough, I announced then, standing and interrupting Grey Frizz. I'm going hunting again. Why don't you guys keep sitting here arguing? It's a good way to pass time. You cannot act, Farlow, without this council's permission, Fat Penator reminded me. You say that like you believe it, I complimented, gathering up my few printouts along with a thin tablet. Good for you. Keep the faith. I realized then that these were nothing I didn't already have, and threw them back onto the glossy surface of the table with a clatter. And since when are we a council? Half the men in this room couldn't even be bothered to attend the prior meetings, but now that we have a victory to crow about, you've come out of the woodwork. Well, I'll leave it to you. Yammer and debate all you want, but understand this. Piani won't be stopped by talk. Lady Trisal. Penator shot back. Whatever else she is, she is your better, Alliance dog. Whatever else she is, she's my enemy, and I'll refer to her and to any useless parasites I happen to encounter along the warpath in any way I see fit. If you act on your own, Sir Ronaldo admonished, we'll stop you, Famo de Santos. You can't afford to make an enemy of the Vernays family. Label me a rogue agent if you want. Come after me if you think you must, but understand that Lady Trisal will still be out there. She'll still have her agenda in place, and we are still in her way. They had more to say, but nothing worth hearing, so I stomped out. They hadn't been kidding about it being a formal council of war now, labeling themselves the Great Gathering. Where were these names coming from? Sindra, as a woman in a deeply patriarchal society, wasn't allowed in any more of their meetings. She'd been monitoring it, though, along with the staff of every other nobleman back there. They all threw dirty, shocked, and appalled looks at me as I chugged through the anteroom. Sindranea stood up and waited near the far door. She was wearing her usual sour face, but with a set to her eyes I'd come to recognize as approval. A tall gray shadow stood beside her, and it moved when she did, following behind silently. And I mean silent. It towered over us both, and likely weighed two hundred kilos if a gram, yet the thing crossed bare metal decking with no audible footfalls. You are improving, Spacer, she muttered as we walked. It took longer than I expected for you to burn those particular bridges. What do we have in system for war vessels right now? Military class, I mean. No more toy ships. Vernays only. Chandalura is a heavy coaster, but Lee Dao is a unit carrier. That's a frame hauler for small vessels, right? I asked, impressed. 
How many can it carry? A dozen? Sixteen. The Dagger Squadron? It is what they have called that stupid King Striker boat. They are being loaded aboard. Excellent. What else? We have the Silver Flare Courier Detachment. I did not think my cousin would part with them. They are the fastest and most reliable messengers in space. And we are expecting seven more Kajit vessels. Loyalists coming in from far postings to be reassigned under Verne's command. That may be in jeopardy now, thanks to your winning ways. Yeah, I'm crying. Otherwise, this is all good stuff. Support vessels for everything? Of course. Fuel airs, repair boats, tags, supplies, all of it. We have a total of 377 well-trained people available in the vicinity at the moment. She hadn't needed to look up any of these details as she spoke, and I knew for a fact she didn't have retinal implants like mine. This was off the top of her head. That's good. For a while, yes. Then fuel, air, and other things will run low, and it will not be so good. We have no supply lines of our own in place, and I fear our ships will not be given top priority by any of the noblemen you just insulted. I thought about that, walking without comment for a bit. She had framed the problem with simplicity and humor, but wars hinged on healthy logistics, and we both knew it. We have to develop our own sources for supplies, I concluded. I was actually saying, Spacer, that you should be more diplomatic when dealing with your social betters, especially when you need something from them. Maybe we don't. Maybe my social betters are the problem here. See if you can put the commanders of those ships you mentioned, as well as the flight leader for the strikers, on a virtual conference. Oh, and contact all the support craft, and have them hammer out a viable command structure between them. You'll want to sit in on that meeting yourself and make sure they pull it off. We'll be going in as a unit, all the ships. Going in there, Spacer? I don't know yet. But a unit hierarchy needs to be in place before I talk to the commanders. Throw my name around if you have to. I will use mine if I have to. You forget my rank is higher than yours. I am your boss. I snorted in derision and she cracked a thin smile over shutting me up. You have annoyed them back there, but you have also given them what they want. She hooked a thumb over her shoulder. They are happy to have you out of their hair. The noble sons of the Empire do not know what to do with you, or about you. Sure they do. Plausible deniability. If this goes well for our side, it was their plan all along. If it fails, I'm a loose cannon, maybe a pirate. The writ of confrontation has been submitted to the College of Families in the Kamatosa's name as Interpatria. Our own solicitors have assured Elmond that, as familian Kano of a noble family working in aid of another such family, you will be guilty of no crimes unless you fail to comply with whatever judgment the college makes on the writ once it is announced. Elmond says the great Augustine will still wait before acting. If it seems like we will win, he may offer support. What that would look like in practice, no one knows. If we are losing, however, he will just go on holiday and forget all about us. I wrinkled my brow and thought for a bit. 
You think he believes that Piani will stop reaching if she wins? She's staring at his jugular. Who knows what men think, hononclos and emperors alike. But if he begins to worry, I suppose he could accuse her of something and make an imperial edict. At that point, she will be a criminal. And she isn't already? Murdering people doesn't count? In the eyes of the emperor and the college of families? Not really. Defiance of important people makes you their enemy. If Lady Tressal wishes to win the throne for herself, it will not be through all-out war. There are matters of rank and influence she must resolve before then, or no family would recognize her claims. She desires to clear the forest of other trees, then rise into the light. Poetic. Ja, is from a song, she confirmed then began singing some low-speak pop lyrics in a scratchy, off-key manner that made me giggle. She saw that it did so and raised her voice as we walked through the companionways. My laughter turned into guffaws, drawing wondering stares from people left and right over her howling and mine. Or maybe it was over our silent companion, following four steps behind. Eventually, we came to my apartment on station. I'll be out and about come mid-shift, but call if you need me. She squinted. You have that look you get, Spacer, whenever you are doing something foolish. Not yet I don't, but soon, soon. I filled out a brief report to Elmond, just outlining the happy outcome of the mission, then got that nap in. Later, after a quick shower... I ate a steak roll on my way to a pub on deck seven of the station. I'd looked the place up before leaving. It was mentioned on the local merchanter's social boards as being a hangout for commercial crews and officers. Every station had places like it. I was wearing a flight suit, as usual. This one a puke green, which I'd bought off the markdown rack aboard a way station back over the border, long before any of this had started. At the time, I'd considered it my nicest piece of clothing. It was worn and shabby now, but nobody in a working spacer's bar would care. In fact, anything more would be the mistake. It was a dark place, and the floor was grimy. Would I have even noticed such a thing before all this? Before Dorcas and working in a surgically clean galley? Galley. What had I been thinking? <laughs> the lunacy of it hit me like a blow across the face, and I chortled at the folly, even as I sat down before the chip plate countertop that acted as a bar. There was a young woman behind there, dressed like bartenders everywhere, or maybe nowhere, maybe just here, in the underdecks of a station in the Empire, with people coming and going like ants at an endless picnic. She wore dark trousers and a tank top to match. Her hair was shaved on both sides and poofy on top. It was dyed bright yellow, and she had glow-twos on her cheeks, alternating blue and pink triangles that faded up and down, up and down. Biero Chade Ensla? I asked in bad low-speak, while swiping through menus on my retinals. She nodded, noting that my electronic payment had gone through before pulling the half-liter of dark brew from the tap 
and sliding it over on a napkin with a thin bottle of hot sauce. Beer and pepper sauce were common companions in this part of the empire, but I'd never found a taste for the combination. You were supposed to run a pencil-thin line of sauce atop the foam head. If it sank, you were clearly a newbie. If you didn't use any at all, you were a stranger. In some bars, these things would get noted. In a place for spacers, nothing was normal. Everyone was a newbie to something, and everyone was a stranger. I swiped the air some more, and in my eye view, the Spacer General com board folded in. I muttered an entry. My rig translated it to text and posted it up as a self-deleting announcement set to expire late mid-shift. Kilkilly's Lounge, hiring freight, Atmo, and fuel ships. All comers. Immediate runs available in Empire. Four months minimum commitment. AIN standard rates. Bonuses available for special deliveries. Wearing green at the bar. Then I waited. Tramp freighters were as common as rain in a jungle, yet they were largely invisible. Unless you worked in this industry, that is, commercial shipping, the true number and scope of freelancers was unlikely to have ever crossed your mind. The majority of ships were part of established corporate fleets, but that number came up far short of the one required to move goods and people in a timely fashion. If a company used seven of their own ships, then they might have two or three more on the books as temporary hires. That made for a lot of small, privately owned freighters hustling for contracts. This port had the Kajit military base attached. It needed and went through goods, personnel, and services like a man goes through air. There were tramps here, and no mistake. Almost as if to prove the point, there was a tap on my shoulder, and a big, heavy guy with sparse hair and hungry eyes slid onto the stool next to me. The Ain rates thing must have been a giveaway, I guess, because he spoke in good English, though with a thick accent. Is looking for ships? Yeah, I need them right away. What's yours? Kessie de Bassa, mad hauler. Can be moving 350,000 mass tons. Have 270k of space available immediately. I raised a finger by way of asking him to hold on, then set up a search application in my eye view to automatically run against any named vessels that came up in conversation. I asked him to repeat himself. Kessie de Bassa faded into view with a green rating in the RMA's proscribed ship listings, implying it wasn't a stolen vessel nor under warrant as a smuggler or pirate. That was good enough. Meeting at 1800 today. We'll fill your hold and then some. Call here for details. I waved my hand and sent a data squirt at him. He looked at a long wrist comp on his beefy forearm. This legit? Yeah, but nobles are fighting. You'll be supplying. Interested? Depends which nobles. Oh, there's a bunch involved. You hear about a Agilers factory? His eyes narrowed, and he licked his fat lips. 
is all over news feeds. Ja, am seeing it an hour ago. Right. Well, not him or his friends. You'll be hauling for the other guys. Who you in all this? I gave him a smile I didn't really feel, but it was better than telling him to mind his business. One of the other guys. He said he'd think about it, but had a starving jackal behind his eyes, so I knew what he would decide as well as he did. Within an hour, I had two more come up to me, and three call from somewhere in the bar or nearby. People that wanted to see who was making the offer before approaching. Granted, all this had a shady quality, but time was short. I wanted these ships moving cargo inside of a week, and they'd need time to agree, prep for launch, file their flight plans, and roll out. I supplied everyone I spoke to the number to Sindra's office. She called herself to complain that I hadn't given her the heads up. I apologized and said I had every confidence that she'd be able to handle an impromptu vid conference for these new hires at 1800. She invoked a low-speak word which I pretended my rig couldn't translate. I advised her to expect more such calls as the day wore on. I was being awful, but this needed doing and she was the only person I could rely upon. I even said so, but that cut about as much ice as you'd expect under the circumstances. There is no time for anything but a standard contract for them all, she informed, after putting me on hold and chatting with a solicitor AI on another channel. In standard rates are above normal for shipping in the Empire Space Air. You are offering too much. Our squad has its own cargo ships. We need commercial freight haulers for this, I countered. Military vessels, or really any vessels directly supplying a military force, can be considered legitimate targets. But no one will know these people are hauling for us. The rules of war over here that everyone keeps slapping me with expressly forbid direct targeting of non-aligned civvy assets. Operations against them would get the attacker branded as a pirate. Piani and her people can't afford to do that. They already have space air. True, but I'll be going after that particular ship myself. It's a military combat thing in disguise. They can't have too many of those on tap. I'll dig it out of whatever hole they keep it in. Do you have any idea of what you are doing? Any at all? Yes, I definitely have some small idea. In my eye view, she snorted and fumed like a tiny rhino preparing to charge. Leave war to the warriors. You are clumsy and stupid. And a liar, I injected, enjoying her disconcertion. Do not joke. It is one thing to insult some old nobleman. Fine, this is good fun. I do it myself. It is another thing to go out and fight their battles. You almost died in the last one, and that was just to damage some empty factory. When you are fighting people for their lives, it will be much worse. I know that. Some train for years to do this sort of work, Spacer. They are experts in it. Yeah, and I'm one of them. Why does everyone keep forgetting what I do for a living? Baking pies in the kitchen, was it? You know what I mean. I was still in the bar at that time, so the shout drew dark, suspicious glances. 
I shrugged to all and sundry in silent apology, glancing around. You deliberately miss my meaning, she replied quietly, angrily, breathing into the audio pickup for long seconds. Finally, my niece said, Did we not have enough of war on that place? This is different. No, it is. Syndra, out in VAC, I'm in charge. Out there, I'm not the victim. I can save our friends, and I can hurt our enemies. Kill your enemy, you mean? If need be, yes. I can't walk away now. Piani will come after me. Failing in that, she'll come after you to get to me. I'm doing this to keep you safe. She looked sad and glanced away from the camera, away from me. I'm not lying to you, Syndra. No, you do much worse. You lie to yourself. I sighed and looked off, too. With a heads-up display, that meant looking away from the center point of the video stream. My eyes moved down by less than the thickness of a hair, but that was enough to put her out of focus. It made her disapproval and disappointment less real, less painful to endure. There was no time, nor did I have the temperament for this right then. She could say these things when we had idle moments, but this was the middle of the workday, the middle of the operation. Are you still in? I asked evenly, seeing only the worn and sticky floor. Did I say I was not? She snapped back. I express concern and you question my loyalty? I question mine. You make me question why I'm doing this, but if I am doing it, then I can't be wondering over my motivations. I can't consider philosophy when I'm out there because that will get me killed. Can you say that it won't happen anyway? Can you assure me that you will survive? I've never promised that. No one can. I don't want to be here in this life all alone, Space Air. Then she waved the air in front of the Comring's camera lens with her offhand, sniffing once, then squeezed her eyes between two fingers. I have another of your cargo rats calling. Do what you must. It might take a while. Then I will wait. What choice do you leave me? And she cut the call. You have been listening to All He Surveys, Volume 1, a Star Drifter novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. This story is copyright 2022 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. 
Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called I-Core by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The All He Surveys theme is a piece called Blossom by Edward Malov and is licensed through TribeOfNoise.com. This story is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Any similarities to such are purely coincidental. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site, davidcollinsrivera.com, where you'll find everything Star Drifter, including more audio, novels, and stories, the Star Drifter tabletop role-playing game, podcasts, newsletters, and more. Stop by, won't you, and drop me a line. Thank you for listening. Take care.